Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today, we are discussing episodes 38 and 39 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Since we are officially in the back half of the drama, we have posted another poll for listeners to vote on what drama we will discuss for our weekly podcast series next. Go check it out and make your choice on our website, www.chasingdramas.com. You can vote for up to three dramas per day. So vote, vote, vote. If you feel particularly strongly about one or several uh, dramas, please make sure to vote every day then. <laughs> Similarly, we have created a poll for your favorite Chinese drama of 2022. There's plenty that we didn't include in our poll list, so feel free to write yours in, and I'm sure there will be other people who share your preferences. If you have any comments or questions in the meantime, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or else email us at Kathy at chasingdramas.com. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's return back to our podcast episode. Today, we will do a drama episode recap and then discuss some behind-the-scenes snippets for the drama and also some contemporary pop culture commentary. And then we will move on to discuss culture and history portrayed in these episodes. Today's two episodes are probably my least favorite episodes in the entire drama. So much goes wrong for the Empress that you really gotta agree that the world just had it out for her. I also kind of feel like the screenwriter just needed to get the plot back to follow history, so that's why we have what we see in these two episodes. Time goes flying by, and I feel like maybe one of the reasons why I didn't like these two episodes is because sometimes I like having these dramas like on in the background to listen um, and not pay too much attention, but for these couple of episodes, you actually have to like watch title screens and when they say, oh, time has moved um, from this period to next period because things just move by way too quickly. Maybe that's why I didn't like it because I didn't understand what was going on uh, while I was watching this drama kind of subconsciously. Well, we start back off at Fu Hung's household where his marriage with Er Qing is not going well at all. She is upset that he has been neglecting her despite his assurances that he will aim to make her his one and only. Her jealousy led Er Qing to act quite harshly when she saw a random maid help clean Fu Hung's rooms. This led her to think that he had taken the maid in as a concubine. This poor maid was severely beaten and punished. I will say I do think that maybe the maid had other thoughts in her mind, but she definitely did not deserve the punishment that she got. Fu Hung arrives to see what happened to the poor girl, and she reminds him a lot of Ying Luo. Seeing the sad state that she's been subjected to, he allows her to continue cleaning his study. Meanwhile, he forbids Er Qing from entering his study. Er Qing tries to apologize to him, but her apology only makes Fu Hung more upset. As it becomes clearer to him that she is only sorry for her jealousy, but not for how she treated the poor maid, he 
just can't even anymore. Like the punishment was quite severe. Erdsin does not see servants or staff as human beings and doesn't see anything wrong with her level of punishment. This and the fact that she has been networking nonstop, which leads to the suspicion of creating factions from the emperor, leads Fu Hung to be more and more disgusted by her character. Fu Hung storms out after she continues to accuse him of being in love with Ying Luo, which he does not deny, but turns it around on her poor behavior as to why their relationship has not progressed. The hateful Erzing vows to make Fu Hung pay for the pain she has experienced. Okay, none of the actions Erzing has done condones any of them, but I also do think that Fu Hung could have tried even a little bit more. What is Erzing's tactic, you might ask? Well, she decides that she has to return to the palace and live with the Empress for a while. This, to me, honestly makes no sense because Erting has her mother's side of the family to return to, so why would she necessarily return to the Empress's palace? But the Empress is too nice and obliges, even though she knows that Erting must have done something pretty bad to make Fu Hung that mad at her. And ultimately, I feel like that's the problem with the Empress. She is too nice and doesn't know how to protect herself. Erting returns to the palace and immediately tries to show who's boss. She orders Ying Luo to clean up her luggage, to which Ying Luo offers up alternatives. Erting refuses and even slaps Ying Luo across the face to establish who's the master and who's the servant. Of course, our Ying Luo cannot have that, right? As Erting is about to raise her hand again, Ying Luo instead strikes back with a slap of her own that actually results in Erting on the ground. Yes, girl, that was so satisfying. Erting yells at Ying Luo for this insubordination, but Ying Luo claps back, admonishing Erting for leaving the Empress when she needed her most. It's kind of astonishing how much hatred Erting has for Ying Luo and Fu Hang when she was the one to bring most of it upon herself. Ugh, she's the worst. She's like, all of my misfortunes in life are due to Fu Hang and Ying Luo. And it's like, mm, you chose this path, okay? So please, calm down. So the next series of events happen at a lightning speed. Chun Fei gives birth to a young boy, the sixth prince named Yong Lian. This prompts Erting to act by gifting the Empress a special medicine that will ensure that she gets pregnant. The reason Erting gifts this to the Empress is to help put her back into the Empress's good books. And you know what? Shortly after, the Empress gets pregnant. When I mean lightning speed, we don't even get like Chunfei pregnant or having uh, giving birth, it just is here, she had her child. When the Empress gets pregnant, this is shocking news to Ying Luo, who was informed by Ye Tianshi off screen, her friendly imperial doctor, that the Empress is still relatively weak and not ready to carry a child. If she does carry a child, this could actually have devastating long term impacts to the Empress's lifespan. Ying Luo explains as such angrily to Yuan Chun Wang, who agrees with the Empress's choice of becoming pregnant to stabilize her position in the palace. Whereas Ying Luo is like, who cares about the Emperor's favor? I just want the Empress to be healthy. 
This, again, is such a sweet relationship. Clearly, someone has her head on straight and cares about the Empress, which we will also see in the next episode, as in episode 39. Fast forward to the Emperor, who has a moment of weakness while seeing the Sixth Prince. He is reminded of Yonglian, the Empress's first son who passed away at nine years old. It is the anniversary of his death, and the Emperor gets quite tipsy as he remembers his beloved son. He even sheds a tear over losing him that he didn't shed when Yonglian passed away. He then heads over to the Empress's palace, where again he shows his soft side as he drunkenly asks if Yonglian wants to be his son again. But not before making fun of Yingluo. While this is a heartwarming moment, Er Qing has other plans. She's like moving around in the shadows. We move on to episode 39 as Er Qing seizes her opportunity. Seeing that the Emperor is tipsy and resting in a separate part of Changchungong than the Empress, Er Qing sneaks into his rooms dressed as a maid. We can all guess what happened next. She rushes out the next morning and is spotted by Li Yu, the Emperor's head eunuch, who is absolutely stunned to see who spent the night with the Emperor. The Emperor is furious when Li Yu goes to check in on him, though we don't get more beyond that. Er Qing, on the other hand, is extremely pleased with herself for having enacted on her plan and promptly announces that she is returning home as Fu Hung has returned to Beijing as well. This confuses Ming Yu, who sees Er Qing leave. Ming Yu also guesses that the Emperor probably spent the night with a maid, but it is put out of her mind by Ying Luo as Ying Luo explains if this were the case, the maid would have stepped forward for a reward and become a formal concubine. But because no one has done so, then the Emperor probably didn't spend the night with someone. Little does Ying Luo know. Time fasts forwards again as we head to the Empress giving birth. Wow, this is now, what, like, probably at least 12 months of time within, like, one episode. Fei had her son. It's now time for the Empress to have her next child. The Empress's birthing process is quite harrowing, with it not looking good for her at all. This freaks out Yingluo because she is quite scared that the Empress would die due to childbirth, just like her own mother. And also, there's an interlude scene where Fu Hong goes to check on, on Ying Luo. I'm like, dude, Fu Hong, just leave Ying Luo alone, okay? You need to move on. But luckily, at the last moment, the Empress is able to give birth to a relatively healthy baby boy, the Seventh Prince. She is alive as well, albeit pretty weak. Ying Luo weeps tears of relief as the Empress remains alive, while the rest of the palace is overjoyed with the new prince. I thought it was so touching when the Empress says to Yingluo, who's at her bedside, say, oh, look, everyone else is outside looking at the prince, and you're the only one here to check if I'm okay. That really, really just speaks to their relationship. Um, and it's one that's, again, just so heartwarming. But not everyone is pleased with the birth of this new prince. Fei, who was promoted after the birth of the sixth prince, is now Fei, so she is now noble consort Chun. She is uneasy at hearing that the empress gave birth to a boy and the rumors that it is the empress's son who will have a bright future ahead of him. 
She seems to have put her feelings for Fu Hong to rest and now has fallen into the familiar trope of wanting the Empress favor for herself and competing against the Empress, especially after the egging on from Xian Guifei, who knows exactly what to say to Chun Guifei to get her to act. Also, side note, her son grew up like five years in the last episode. Uh, <laughs> this is now like a five-year-old son instead of like two years old. We'll set this straight in our history discussion. <laughs> we only get a few glimpses of Xiang Guifei in this episode, though she really is like the scariest person in the palace. She kills ruthlessly and manipulates people with such ease, all with a smile on her face. And though now every time I see her, her smile never reaches her eyes. She's just that scary. The other big news here is that Er Qing is pregnant. Again, I really don't know how the times line up here because I feel like the timing doesn't fully work for these episodes. At the Fu Cha household, Fu Hang's mother is over the moon at the news while Fu Hang does the math in his head. It's most definitely not his. But Er Qing just looks at him in a sneering manner. Alone, Er Qing in her crazed nature actually openly shares with Fu Hong exactly who the child is, the Empress. She cackles maniacally as she reveals that her plan finally came to fruition. She is here to make Fu Hong's life a living hell. Whenever he sees the Emperor, he'll be reminded of the fact that his wife's child is the Empress. What an absolutely crazy and despicable woman. Also, I have no idea why Fu Hang's brother is into her. Like, he is nursing a massive crush on her, and I'm like, dude, you know she's crazy. Don't mess with crazy. <laughs> we get another time skip. So now we are in Qianlong's 13th year, which is 1748. It's New Year's Eve, and Ying Luo gets news that her father fell from a horse and requires her assistance during his ill state. She at first refuses, but then is advised by the empress that she should go and see him. He is Ying Luo's father after all. The empress gifts Ying Luo her clear Buddhist beads for her trip, and Ying Luo heads out. Keep these beads in mind. These beads will stay with Ying Luo forever. With Ying Luo gone, tragedy strikes. It's almost as if everybody knows that Ying Luo is the guardian angel of Changchun Gong. As soon as she leaves, they can strike, which unfortunately is true. On this New Year's Eve night, the seventh prince is alone in his room with his nanny. But soon, screams are heard as a fire breaks out in the seventh prince's rooms. The empress rushes in to save her son, and is in turn rescued by Hai Lan Cha, only to realize that the baby boy has devastatingly perished in the blaze. The nanny? Killed. All of this, evidently, was orchestrated by Chun Guifei, who somehow ensured that the water that would be used to quell such instances had frozen over into ice. And with that, we end episode 39. Ying Luo is nowhere to be seen. It really is devastating to see what befalls the Empress, though once again, pacing here is lightning fast as she loses yet another son. Whew, what a roller coaster of two episodes. Not my favorite two episodes because it just shows like the worst in people. 
The Empress gets pregnant and then loses her child again. Artine betrays her and Fei betrays her too. But before we talk about history now, as we kind of digest what happens, let's talk about some behind the scenes information and pop culture uh, commentary for when these two episodes aired. So in episode 39, we're missing a couple of crucial scenes around what happened with Erting. In the drama, it's not made explicitly clear if Erting slept with the emperor. All we get is a quick scene of the incriminating bedding being hurriedly carried away by a maid. However, in a cutscene, all of this is made very clear. Erting is actually seen coldly watching the still sleeping emperor the morning after. When he wakes up, she completely changes demeanor and behaves as though it was the emperor who essentially forced himself on her in his drunken state and tries to, for Erting at least, try, she tries to commit suicide. However, the emperor stops her and the whole quote-unquote affair is hushed up. The first part of the scene is cut. The second part where the emperor wakes up and sees her is only seen in flashback episodes later in the drama. I'll discuss a little bit more on this night and later episodes because as I just mentioned there are the, the flashback scenes. But there are also speculated cutscenes that hint at maybe another man is in the picture. Well, when these two episodes first aired, I remember it caused an absolute uproar because these episodes were such head scratchers. Erting went from a pleasant enough maid to an absolute deranged, jealous wife in two episodes who conspired to cheat on her husband with the emperor no less. She went from fan favorite in the opening couple of episodes to the most hated person in the entire drama with these two episodes. I don't think even Gao Guifei got the same level of vitriol that Erting received from viewers of this drama. I personally agree. I think she is probably the worst person uh, in the entire drama. People started giving Erting all sorts of names. And this is actually really funny. Kathy didn't know this, but because her, her full name in the drama is Sitala Erting, people started calling her Sibala Erting instead. This is really, really funny because Sibala in Chinese, uh, it just means when, for example, when you smash a watermelon onto the ground and then it becomes like a hot mess. Or like a pulp. Yeah, that's what it means to like throw something and make it into Sibala. Basically, people wanted to smash Erting into a pulp because of her actions and the general terribleness of that character. Others include Sha Tian Dao, which just means death by a thousand cuts. And, you know, it just sounds like all of these names for her were very violent. She does not get the, I don't know, like the nicer treatment that people get give for like Hua Fei and things like that. Like people look at her and they're just like, no, I just want her gone. The scene in episode 38 where Wei Yingluo slaps Erting in the face also became a very popular meme. Basically, whenever someone needs to use a meme to put someone in his or her place, they would use that meme, like that exact slap. The actress for Erting, Su Ting, was a really good sport for all this. In an interview discussing that very scene where she was slapped, she mentioned how both her and the actress for Wei Yingluo Wu Jinyan were legitimately slapping each other. 
So when Su Qing or Er Xing first slapped Wei Yingluo, she did it so hard that Wei Yingluo's earrings went flying, or one of them went flying. You can actually see it in the scene that one of the earrings does go missing. So <laughs> it, it's true. Like in the interview, Su Qing's like, I slapped Wu Jingyan so hard, like her earring just disappeared. When Wei Yingluo slapped Er Qing, that force was also real, as in Er Qing or the actress really did fall over because of the force of the slap. That reaction that we have in the drama is like a live reaction, but kudos for Su Qing for staying in character. The two actresses definitely took everything in stride though because Su Qing was joking in the interview how she told Wu Jingyan to not worry about the scene and joked with her that since the two sides of her face were lopsided, this will help straighten her face out. <laughs> uh, that is a good sport. Let us know what you think about Er Ting and her actions in these two episodes. Either comment on our Instagram post or else we're going to be putting this uh, episode transcript up on our website and you can definitely comment on there. So let us know our thoughts or your thoughts because we've been rambling on for a while now. So let's move on to some history. The history that we'll discuss today primarily revolves around the timeline of events that happened because... There is so much time compression that occurred in these last couple of episodes. So we want to make sure to ground everyone on where we are in history. First on the agenda is actually going to be the sixth prince, Yongrong. He is the son of Chun Guifei, who in the drama has allied herself with Xian Guifei. Not eh, more like Bi has been manipulated by. Yongrong was born in 1744 as the sixth prince. Contrary to what we have in the drama, Chun Guifei in history already had a son, the third prince Yongzhang, who was born in 1735. We have never actually heard of him in the drama. We've only heard of the second prince, who was the empress's first son, the fourth prince, who is currently being raised by Xian Guifei, the fifth prince, who had a harrying birth at the beginning of the drama, and of course, this is the sixth prince. So the motivations for Trimfei are strictly for drama purposes. In episode 37, we got the time jump that it was the year 1746. I'm just going to point out that Yongrong was born in 1744. We also don't get a clear timeline on when Erxing gives birth to her son. So the son's name is Fu Kang'an, but in history, he doesn't get born as a person until the 1750s, so that's like way off timeline. The seventh prince, on the other hand, Yong Chong, was born on May 27th, 1746. As shown in the drama, the emperor Qianlong immediately favored this son. It was evident before he was even born. For example, the royal family typically goes to Yuan Ming Yuan or the Old Summer Palace to celebrate the new year. However, to prevent any undue stress to the empress, the emperor ordered all celebrations to be held back in the Forbidden Palace, which was very unusual. On the lunar calendar, the seventh prince was born on April 8th, which is also Buddha's birthday, a very auspicious day, and one where in China it is the custom to wash a Buddha. As Xian Guifei mentions in the drama, when the seventh prince was born, it rained heavily, easing the drought in certain parts of the empire. 
These were all very lucky signs. Emperor Tianlong in history wrote a beautiful poem to convey the happiness of this day. On the following year, for Yongcong's first birthday, it rained again. The emperor wrote another poem expressing his happiness for his son. As mentioned in the drama, the word "tong" indeed is a strong word. "Tong" by itself is the jade goblet that is used during ceremonial rites in the ancestral temples. When you split up the word, the left side is "wang" or king, and the right side is "zong" or of the ancestors. Putting those two words together means that the emperor already wanted his son as heir apparent, as it means for the boy to continue the line of his ancestors. There was apparently another boy already named Yongcheng in the Aixinjuelo family, so the emperor basically forced that boy to change his name. He even gifted the boy a new name, Yongchang. History most likely would have gone another way had the boy lived. Unfortunately, that was not the case. In the drama, it kind of makes it seem as though the boy died only a few months after birth, but he died at about twenty months. He did indeed die on the Lunar New Year's Eve on January twenty eighth of seventeen forty eight. So we will give kudos to the drama for being historically accurate on this day, despite not being as historically accurate for the prior timelines. However, his death was caused by smallpox instead of a fire. The fire was there simply for dramatic purposes. Smallpox was basically the bane of the Manchu royal family, and several prominent members died of smallpox throughout the centuries. Smallpox is actually featured in several Qing Dynasty dramas. When Yongcheng died, Emperor Qianlong was utterly distraught at this news. He passed an imperial edict or shengzhi expressing his sorrow for this son. It's surprising to see what he mentions in this edict, and I'll list a couple of bullets. The emperor did indeed want him to inherit because Yongcheng was a legitimate son from the empress. And because he was also a smart boy, the emperor wasn't able to grant him a posthumous title of crown prince as he did with the empress's first son. But he will still be buried with rites more extravagant than normal princes. And lastly, the emperor actually asks that he hasn't done anything wrong to anger the ancestors and the heavens. Why are his legitimate sons always being taken from him? Is it because since the start of the dynasty, all of the emperors were not the legitimate sons or the dizi, so that when he wanted to select a legitimate heir apparent, the heavens decided that they wouldn't grant him this boon? I think that this is a really, really touching edict from Emperor Tianlong. It shows that he really loved his son and, by extension, his wife, the Empress. I don't think we really see much of this side in the drama, but when it came to Empress Fu Cha and her children. In history, Emperor Tianlong really went above and beyond normal protocol. The funeral was extravagant and took over nine months to officially bury the boy. Over ten thousand people paid their respects, and several officials who did not obey were actually punished by the emperor. So this once again just goes to show how much the emperor did indeed love the boy, and as we'll see as well, did really love the empress. That was the emperor's real life 
response to the passing of Yong Tong. We don't see a whole lot of that in the drama. We'll talk about the Empress's reaction in the next episode as it is intricately linked to her death, both in the drama and in real life. And that is it for today's podcast episode. Remember to vote on our website for your favorite drama of 2022 and also whatever drama you want us to discuss on our podcast next. If you're in the U.S. and are looking for sites to watch dramas, this is just a friendly reminder to check out our sponsor, Jubao TV. That is J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles and all for free. You can stream it through their website, Jumo, X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity, Cox Contour, or else Sling TV. Thanks again so much for listening. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.